Today we're in week two of our All In series where we're talking about unity. Now, all the messages in the series matter, but I think this one has special importance because we're asking a question that's very relevant. The question is this, how can we be united when we don't agree? How can we be united when we don't agree? Because the fact is, people aren't going to agree about a lot of things. If you think that unity means that you always agree with the people you're united with, you're going to find yourself united with a very small group of people, if any. So how how can we do this? Well, we'll come back to that question later in the message. We're going to look today at the second, this, in this series, we're going through three different stories, and we're looking at the second of three stories in Jesus' life where he models for us behaviors that can help us to be more and more unified as followers of Jesus. Now, before I jump in, I want to have just a, a brief Bible nerd moment here, okay? This story, it's found in John chapter 8, and if, if you turn there in your Bibles, you'll see that uh, in many Bibles, it'll say that the earliest and most reliable manuscripts don't include this story. Bible scholars are pretty much united here uh, that this is a story that was not originally written by John. It was a story that that Christians passed down uh, through generations, and eventually somebody added it in. So that asks the question, is it worth studying or not? And I believe that it is, because I believe that the truth that it conveys is consistent with the teachings and the life of Jesus that we, three, that we see throughout the Gospels. So I think that there's a lot that we can get from this. So let's jump right in. John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman they had caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now, it doesn't matter who you are. That's a bad day right there. <laughs> I mean, this, for, this, for this woman, essentially it's like, her pastor caught her in the act of adultery, right? I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me, okay? That's just, that's an awkward situation. It's a difficult situation. This is is a challenging story, and it raises so many questions. The Bible has this way of just saying stuff and moving it on, moving on to the rest of the story, and I'm like, I have more questions, and it's like, well, we're, we're moving on, right? You know, questions like, like, How'd they even know, like, what made the religious leaders, they just kind of have a lucky coincidence this day or what? Um, where's the guy? It takes two to tango, so where's the guy in this situation? That seems kind of suspicious. Um, also, of all places to bring her, why did we have to bring her to church? Jesus is t- teaching at the temple, right? The temple is not where we would go to judge a legal case, so why church? I mean, imagine the awkwardness of this. Imagine if, like, in the middle of this sermon, like, the back doors open up and in bus Pastor Mark and Pastor Jonathan and, and this poor half-dressed lady, and they're like, hey, we caught her in the act of adultery. Pastor John, what do we do? I'd be like, well, let, let her go. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to talk about this now. And go clean out your desks. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is not how we behave. This is not how we treat people. Like, like, who would do this? Who would 
bring somebody in. And I'm not minimizing her sin, but is this really the, is this really the best way to handle it? I don't think that it is. Verse 4. Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Then we get some commentary. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, Jesus shouldn't have to do this. He shouldn't have to answer for this, okay? It's easy for us maybe to get a little confused because we're like, well, Jesus, he's son of God. He knows everything. It's natural they would come ask him this question. No, it's not. The, the ones who had caught her are the Jewish religious leaders who actually have legal authority to, to determine these cases, okay? And and so for them to bring her to Jesus, Jesus had no authority with this. He was a traveling teacher. Traveling teachers, you can listen to them if you want, but they have no legal authority in Jesus' day. So it wasn't like, hey, we know, you know, we think we know what needs to be done, but we better get Jesus' permission too because he's really important. No, they didn't come for that reason at all. They were trying to trap him, it says. And so... For this, this woman, it's, it's almost like as if you went to rob a bank, and you're going to rob the bank, and you don't know it, but behind you in line are a police officer and a judge, right? <laughs> Good luck getting out of that one. I don't care who your lawyer is. You are in trouble, my friend. These, this woman has been caught by the very people who would have the right to, to try her. She seems to be the most unlucky woman in all of Israel. Or is she? What are the odds that we have a couple of religious leaders who catch her in the act of adultery right at the same time where Jesus is teaching nearby at the temple so that just conveniently we can publicly bring her in and make him answer some difficult questions. I mean, the law was clear about this. Leviticus 20.10, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Smells kind of like a setup, doesn't it? And I'm not trying to justify her actions. I'm not saying that she was right in this. There's nothing in the text that indicates that this is not consensual. But perhaps it was an ongoing affair that the religious leaders knew about. And maybe they said to the guy, hey, if the timing could be right here, we'll let you go. We'll let you go. I don't know. But what we do know is that the Pharisees were using this as an opportunity to test Jesus so that they would have a charge to bring against him. They're trying not just to get her, they're trying to get him. And you might say, well, well how, how's that possible? What are they trying to get him on? Well, Jesus was known as someone who was full of love, grace, and compassion, he was known as a friend of sinners, remember? The religious leaders, the thing they got the most angry with him for was that he would hang out with tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, people they would not hang out with. 
They didn't think he chose his friends very wisely, if you will. And so now we bring before Jesus a real unquestionable sinner. There she is, Jesus, caught in the act. We've got, well, the law required in those days, two male witnesses. Doesn't mean that's the right thing, but that was their law. We've got two male witnesses, in fact, religious leaders, who caught her in the act. The law is, is pretty clear on this, Jesus. So what say you? If Jesus decides to let her go, well, you know, we've got the problem with the law there, but if he condemns her, well, that doesn't seem overly loving and gracious either. We got Jesus in a trap here. What's he going to do about this? And the fact that, that that Jesus was in a trap doesn't change the reality that she's sinning. Okay, what she's doing is wrong. The Bible talks about adultery, and it's, it's really clear. The Bible says that adultery is a sin. In fact, the Bible says that it puts it really on the level of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And, and as it says in that text, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Other places say that that death was by stoning. Not something we do in our society. Thankfully, we've moved on to more advanced ways of dealing with these things. But, but they would take rocks. First, they would have the little trial. You'd have to have your two witnesses. We'd hear any counter-arguments, any other witnesses, and then... Then the religious authorities, they would make their decision. Guilty, not guilty. And if guilty, they would right then take the guilty person out, outside of the, the city gate usually, and they would throw rocks at that person until the person died. It's a terrible, brutal way of dying. And this is what they're ready to do at these moments. They're ready to, to take her out and to stone her. And as we saw, they've got some legal justification for this. They, they really do. So they, they find Jesus here, and they interrupt his message. And in those days, usually teachers would teach sitting down. So Jesus is probably seated already. And, you know, they, they bring in this woman to him and, you know, what do you say that we should do, Jesus? What does he do? <laughs> he doodles. Doodles in the dirt. What an odd thing to do. And, of course, that leads us to the obvious question, why did he do it? What is he doodling? What is he writing or drawing or whatever? And the Bible doesn't tell us. Some, some folks have, have suspected that maybe he needed a moment to catch his thoughts, right? You know, kind of get his thoughts together. And he's just kind of going to do this a little bit till he figures it out. Others have thought maybe he was actually writing things, that he was even maybe writing the sins of the people who were accusing her. It's kind of interesting. My theory is that he was just doodling, and as he was doodling, a chuckle came to his face when he thought, hmm, 2,000 years from now, John Ferguson's going to try to explain this. 
Good luck. Maybe not. I don't know. But this is how Jesus responds. And you've got to understand, this is, a, this is a very, very serious situation. Because Jesus, he could fall into one of these two extremes, and he's in serious trouble. He can either choose to, you know, condemn her, to say, yep, she did it. Good work, detectives. Go out and stone her. But that doesn't seem necessarily just. Because where's the guy? Where's the guy? The law even says it. You're supposed to have both of them. So that's kind of problematic. Plus, the guy who's preached all about love and grace and forgiveness, and here we have something that smells like a setup, is that consistent with his teaching? How are the crowds going to receive that? But on the other hand, he could fall off the other side of it, and he could just say, oh, let her go. We're just going to forgive her. We're just going to, we're, we're going to, don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. But that's not true because it's one of the Ten Commandments. She's clearly violated. The law is clear that she deserves to die for this. And, and adultery is a big deal. You know, in our society, we tend to minimize it. We tend to minimize sexual sin. Past 70 years, it's kind of become trendy to, to do so. But the Bible doesn't see it this way at all. The Bible is quite clear about it. In fact, adultery is, is one of the ways, the primary way in the Old Testament that God uses to describe Israel's unfaithfulness to God. When the Old Testament prophets were illustrating this time and time again, they would basically accuse the Israelites of cheating on God. That when they're out worshiping other idols and worshiping God and trying to put this all together and make it work, whatever, he said, nope, you're cheating on God. That's what you're doing. When we get married, we stand before God and others and we commit in the presence of God to be faithful to this person till death do us part. Adultery is serious business. The law recognized it. That's why we have these serious punishments. Sin has consequences. We don't always like to think about that for our own sin, but the fact is sin has consequences. And I'm betting that for most of us, hopefully we don't look at the average sinner and be like, yeah, get them. We're probably gracious towards most people. We're probably kind towards most people. We probably want forgiveness and grace for the majority, but I bet you, I bet you you've got that one or two or three or maybe group of folks They've hurt you. They've really hurt you. You bear this pain all the time. You might have woke up thinking about them today. Or last night, the last thought before you went to sleep was about the pain that they've caused for you. How can, he just, how can he just walk out on our family after all these years? How, how could she cheat on me? We promised, and I've been faithful to that promise. 
Do you know what they said about me? Not even true. They don't care. How could they just... How could they just let me go after all those years of faithful service to those guys? How could they just let me go like that? If you knew, if you only knew what that person did to me, you'd understand this. You'd understand why I feel this way. You'd understand... why this seems right. So Jesus, what say you? As you look at these people who've hurt me, what are you gonna do? Verse seven, he says, all right, go ahead and stone her. What? Let let the one let the one who's without sin <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. You've you've got You've got to be kidding me. And Jesus goes back to his doodling. And off they go, beginning with the oldest to the youngest. I guess the oldest were most aware of all the sins they had. And Jesus finds himself now with her. Ironically, the one guy in the crowd who had the right to throw a stone And he looks at her and says, where's your accusers? (laughs) Anybody condemn you now? No, Lord. They don't. And then Jesus says these incredible words, neither do I. Neither do I. Friend, some of us, we need to come here today just to hear those words. For some, you've been condemned by so many people. You've been looked down upon. You've been, you know. To the point where you yourself have decided that you are not worthy of forgiveness, that you, this is just your lot in life because you know what you've done. And to you, Jesus looks at you in the eye today and he says, neither do I. I. The Son of Man came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
It's grace. It's a gift. It's undeserved. Love, my friends, love disarms condemnation. Those who would condemn you, disarmed. And for those of us who are wanting to condemn others, disarmed. Disarmed by Jesus. And you know, on the one hand, we should celebrate. We really should. This is grace, this is a gift. This is forgiveness. This is, <laughs> this is the best gift ever. And it's given to you and to me. And hear me, I'm, I'm not talking about a lack of boundaries in your relationships. There may be harms that have been done to where restoration is not possible, but forgiveness, always possible. In fact, for the follower of Jesus, forgiveness is essential. We just prayed it again earlier. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Pretty interesting standard, don't you think? Notice that the woman is forgiven and she didn't even say she was sorry. He just does it. Because you can't earn it. I can't earn it. The person who harmed you also can't earn it. The people you disagree with also can't earn it. That's grace. It's undeserved. By definition, nobody gets it by, by what they've done. It's only by what Jesus did. He took her sins, your sins, my sins. He went to the cross. He paid the price that I could never pay so that you and I could have freedom, could have forgiveness, could have hope, could have joy. You know, thus far, the, the story in a lot of ways is quite consistent with how we've kind of advanced as a culture. We appreciate, probably now more than ever, we appreciate grace, forgiveness, second chances. We love stories of second chances, and that's awesome. Thanks be to God. Our God's a God of second chances. And it would be easy, it would be tempting to end the story right here. Who condemns you? Nobody. Neither do I. But that's not the end. That's not the end. Verse 11, Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He doesn't condemn her, but he also doesn't condone her sin. And this is the problem in our world today. We get this false belief that either you are that condemnational person standing on the street corner with the bullhorn telling everybody they're going to hell, or you just don't worry about sin. It doesn't really matter. It's not really, what a, you know, it, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Condemn, condone. Neither of these are the ways of Jesus. They're, they're just not. This very day, he doesn't condemn her, but he also doesn't condone her actions. Go and sin no more. Why does he say this? Because he loves her. He loves her. And God's love, it's not a teddy bear love. God's love is a holy love. It's a holy love which cannot ignore sin. 
Because sin, it has consequences. It hurts people. It's hurt you. Do you want God to ignore sin, pretend like it doesn't matter? Because it does. Real people get hurt by the sins of others. Go and sin no more. (laughs) So back to that question. How can we be united when we don't agree? Well, Ephesians gives us a great word on this. It says, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body, the church. That's what Jesus did that day. He spoke the truth in love. He addressed her sin. He, didn't, he called it out. Go and sin no more. He also recognized the injustice of the situation. The fact that she wasn't justly brought forward. The fact that somebody else was set free. And maybe on a deeper level, maybe it points to the cross. As the prophet would say, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made known the righteousness of God in him. Jesus would become the adulterer someday. He would become the person who hurt you. He would become you at your worst moment. He would become sin so that he could go and pay the price that I owed, that you owed, that she owed that day. That's justice. (laughs) This price was paid. And it's also mercy. Because I was supposed to pay and I didn't. So friend, maybe that should change the way that we look at those whom we disagree with. How can we be united? Well first, don't condemn sin hypocritically. Easy to do that. Easy to ignore all of my sins and point out all of yours, and sometimes we can be hypocritical in doing that. It doesn't mean that you have to be a flawless human ever to address sin, but let's not be hypocritical. Second, don't condone sin. Okay, Avoid those two extremes. And third, don't confront sin without the relational equity to do so. Jesus had the right to speak into her life this day, for he's extending grace. He certainly has the right to say, go and sin no more. He has the right to speak into all of our lives, for he is God. I'm not and you're not, though. So that means it's not my job to uh, call out every act of sin every time I see it, right? If so, that's going to make life pretty difficult for you <laughs> if, ever, if that's all you ever do. God didn't put you as the umpire of all sin, okay? But We're in life groups, we're in bands, hopefully that's a good thing to do. We're in families, we have close friends who we love. If you see someone who's living in sin, maybe God's calling you to speak the truth in love, to say, hey, I want God's best for you. I don't want you settling for that stuff. I want you to consider, consider living differently. We speak truth in love, in love because that's how our God treats us. It's a holy love. 
It's a life-changing love. So God, thank you for that love. Thank you for your grace, your forgiveness for every single one of us. Lord, we need you. God, I pray for the person maybe who's here today and has never accepted your forgiveness. It's a free gift that you've offered, God. I just, I pray that if that's the case, that we'd say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I've messed up so much stuff in my life. Thank you for not giving me the punishment that I deserve, but instead paying it for me. I accept your gift. And Lord, for those of us who are struggling to to be united with those we disagree with, would you show us first how we can forgive? Maybe we've been sinned against and we need to forgive. Would you show us if restoration can be made in healthy ways and help us to take steps to that? And would you teach us to speak the truth in love? To know when to speak in love, to know when to be quiet, to know when we are called to address and when we're called to pray. Help us to be faithful in that, God. Help us to be holy as you are holy. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.